Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Hey everyone, real quick before we start the show, Brad wrote an amazing ebook that will teach you everything you need to know about house hacking and living rent free. To get a free copy, text house hack all one word to 22828. That's house hack all one word to 22828 to get your free copy. Today's episode features Brad and Craig Curlop from Bigger Pockets. This episode is actually an Instagram live that was aired this past weekend where Brad and Craig talk about all things house hacking. Craig tells his backstory and they also talk about the current pandemic and how it's affecting real estate. Hey, what's going on, what's man? Up, man? Good, man. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. So uh, we got a few people already joined here. Um, let's kind of take you back uh, for those that don't know about your journey and uh, speak a little bit to how, of course, you're a uh, best-selling author for Bigger Pockets. You worked with them for a while, but you just recently uh, quit that and uh, talk a little about your journey. Yeah, man. Uh, shoot, how far back do you want me to go? Well, let's start with your real estate uh, journey. You know, kind of what got you in real estate, your first house at? Yeah, for sure, man. So, uh, you know, I, I was out in California uh, working in like the venture capital space out in Silicon Valley you know, typical corporate finance type role. Uh, absolutely hated it. Just wanted to get out. Didn't want to do that job. And, and, and in hindsight, that was actually a blessing because it made me realize I didn't want to work for 40 years. And basically, I discovered real estate investing and all this other stuff. Um, you know, I, I discovered Bigger Pockets. I ended up getting a job at Bigger Pockets, moving to Denver in uh, April of 2017. Actually, my uh, my three-year Denver anniversary is coming up here in like two days. Okay. Actually, it's, it's actually technically it's tomorrow. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I basically I started at Bigger Pockets on uh, April third, twenty seventeen, um, and basically never looked back. You know, um, my goal in Denver here was to like obviously do as best as I could at Bigger Pockets, and then also buy my first house hack. And so by June twenty seventeen, I purchased my first one. It was a duplex about a mile and a half uh, from the office. I lived in the bottom, rented out the top. And then I um, and I Airbnb'd out my bedroom, right? And that's kind of like where people probably know me most is the guy behind the curtain. Uh, so you know, in basically, you know, I Airbnb'd my bedroom. I set up like a, a a curtain and a room divider in the living room. That was my bedroom for a year, and you know, I was cash flowing about seven eight hundred dollars a month on that on that property. Um, that allowed me to save up enough money for in the next year to buy my second house hack. And then I did basically the same thing again, except this time I bought a five-bed, two-bathroom house, lived in one room, rented out the other four, and, you know, was on was on my way to, you know, again, did the same. It's just, it's rinse and repeat, did the same thing in year three. And uh, after basically two and a half years, you know, I was able to quit my job at Bigger Pockets because I officially became, you know, financially independent. And now I've been taking on uh, real estate, uh, being a real estate uh, realtor full-time. Uh, because now I'm kind of helping people in the Denver area go ahead and purchase their first house hacks or purchase their investment properties, guiding them along the way. And uh, it's been a tremendous amount of fun. And now I get to do what I truly do love to do and, you know, still in touch with everybody over at Bigger Pockets as well. Absolutely. And I'm uh, kind of in a similar boat, you know, transitioning as an agent. But um, what, you know, a lot of people have opposition maybe to that level of sacrifice. 
talk through like your mindset living behind a curtain. I mean, you know, I've done similar things and a lot of people kind of have that entrepreneurial bug to, you know, make as much money, cover the mortgage, get paid a little bit. Talk about that sacrifice and how, you know, what that was like going through it and how much of an advantage that was. I mean, you touched on a little bit, but yeah, man. I mean, it was it was definitely it was tough. I guess for like the first two weeks, right? There's this whole thing called hedonic adaptation, uh, which, if you don't know the theory, basically what that means is that uh, it's a theory that was discovered when uh, two I don't know if it was a scientist or whatever they studied they studied people who a group of people who won the lottery and a group of people who became paraplegics. And in the first day, people who won the lottery were very happy. The people who became paraplegics were obviously unhappy but over the course of two weeks they all regress back to their median happiness and so if you can take that theory and apply that to your life with like becoming uncomfortable mm -hmm. you kind of realize that yeah after two weeks it kind of becomes your life and you become grateful and happy for no matter what and so you know i found that after living behind the curtain for about two weeks i got pretty used to it i actually really enjoyed having a revolving door of airbnb guests come in and out and uh it ended up you know, I have great relationships that I've still been in touch with a lot of these people today. Um, you know, I even like, I actually ended up dating someone from being behind the curtain, right? And so um, it's kind of like a crazy scenario. Obviously, that also, that wasn't like what got me through though, right? That's mm -hmm. what, that's just what like helps me tread water through those kind of tough times. Um, how I got through really was just the why, right? And the why was being able to become financially independent in such a short amount of time, right? Two and mm -hmm. a half years. And I had $90,000 of student loan debt too. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I had an obstacle in front of me and I really wanted to hit financial independence by the time I was 28. And, you know, here we are, right? And so like, and that financial independence is that why is really just so I can, you know, spend time with my family as they get, you know, as they get older, be able to be there for my family when I actually have a family of my own. And, um, you know, be able to travel and just live life and do life, do what life's been, you know, do it like what you're put on this earth to do, which is like, you know, have fun, inspire people and uh, make the world a better place. Absolutely. And for anyone that hasn't read your book, The House Hacking Strategy by Bigger Pockets, I highly recommend it. It's a great outline sort of of, of a myriad of, you know, a lot of different strategies you can do within um, house hacking, not just, you know, standard duplex um, but like you said, Airbnb, and uh, it gives a lot of great examples and reasons. So let's kind of transition now. We're in sort of an unprecedented period of time. And I would venture to say almost all of the people that listen to our podcasts and, and probably a lot of people that you know haven't been through a cycle. So this is kind of a first time uh, where we've hit a little bit of adversity uh, in the last, you know, 10, you know, basically almost 10 years now. Um, what, what's your outlook going forward? I mean, obviously you have no crystal ball, but sort of like, what do you think the other side of this uh, represents? Yeah, you know, again, I, I don't know, right? Um, I can tell you that, you know, when you buy a property uh, and when I try to help people buy property, what I always advise is that you need to have multiple strategies that work, right? So a lot of people who were just banking on Airbnb, well, that party just came to an end real quick, right? The cops just busted that really quickly. And so, now you need to be able to rely on traditional rental income. Is it going to be as good as Airbnb? Probably not, but you have to be able to hold, right? And so what I've done in this, like in the immediate right now, is basically I turned my Airbnbs into month-to-month short-term rentals, traditional, typically, you know, signing leases, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've basically got them both rented. 
in a relatively short amount of time. Cause that was, that was why I bought these houses. I was like, okay, if for some reason Airbnb goes away, I could never have predicted a worldwide pandemic, but if for some reason Airbnb goes away, I've got a, I've got a fallback plan. And you know, now is the time to exercise that to see if it works. And if it works, you know, that's a tried and true strategy and it will likely last for the long haul. Um, in terms of where the market's headed, you know, I, I, I potentially think that there will be quite a bit of foreclosures coming up in the next nine to 18 months. Uh, and why I say that is because at the end, so p- banks right now are giving three month uh, forbearance. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Basically they're yes. forgiving. Yeah. They're forgiving three month payments, three months worth of payments, but those are still going to be due and they're going to be due on month four. And so people who have been struggling for the last three months, are not going to be able to pay their mortgage three times. You know, if it's a two thousand dollar mortgage, you're not going to be able to pay six thousand dollars in you know in June or July or whatever it is. And so then banks are going to have to start taking action. They might have to start foreclosing, all that kind of stuff, unless greater actions are being taken. Right. The second part of that is, uh, in the past ten years, Airbnb has become this massive conglomerate. Right. Two thousand eight, Airbnb didn't exist. I believe it started in two thousand nine, and so. Now you've got a lot of people purchasing houses with mortgages relying on Airbnb income. Well, those people are going to either lose their houses or they're going to be forced to sell them, you know, or the banks are going to have to foreclose them. And so, you know, I think you're going to see either houses being sold tremendously cheap, these Airbnb rental houses, or you're going to, you know, see foreclosures, you know, in, you know, the six, you know, nine to 18 months after that. Yeah. Absolutely. And being able to adjust, you know, is probably, like you said, a, a staple of being a successful entrepreneur in the long run or landlord, uh, because, you know, these cycles, like you said, you have to be able to use different strategies at different times because they don't all work, you know, at all the time. And like you said, you had to adjust from Airbnb to, you know, leases on the fly. Uh, and I know a lot of people as well have done something similar. Um, so let's got to talk about that maybe people that do have leases uh, that, you know, obviously with unprecedented unemployment right now in America, um, a lot of that is going to fall under the tenants, right? The tenants that are, are most of them are, are you know, uh, restaurants, um, things like that. How should landlords approach that conversation? How should landlords approach the conversation with tenants uh, that maybe won't be able to pay today and going forward? Yeah, so so actually, Brian has a great video on this too, and um, and I agree. Kind of, the first thing you have to do is have to basically send them send a uh, an email or some sort of to them right now, and let them know that you know rent is still still due. You they are still required to pay if they absolutely need it. You know they can you, they can work with them. But yeah, it is important uh, to kind of finish that thought that uh, Brandon Turner had mentioned that contacting, you know, the two uh, and there may be other ways to uh, go about it and and help, uh, whether that's from local government, state government. Obviously, there's going to be some federal uh, funds coming out uh, and and how that's coming. um, We still have to figure out. But having that conversation is important. Uh, unemployment benefits will come in. A lot of people have, um, let's see, let's get him back in here. Here we go. Craig's coming back in here. 
Hey, okay. Can you hear me now? There. Yep, there we go. There we go. All right, sweet. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties as well. Um, no worries at all. But um, I, 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 going back to your point about how uh, Brandon Turner mentioned, you know, to uh, reach out and still saying that rent is still due. Yeah, so you know, rent is still due. Uh, nothing changes. Basically, uh, if if they are if they come to you with the problem, you know, research in your county and 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 figure out what what resources and like what government resources are available to help people um, start helping them pay rent. Like there are a lot of things the banks will do, and a lot of things um, not the banks, but the government is doing a lot of uh, stimulus stimulus packages, all that kind of stuff to allow. Um, to help tenants pay rent like they, they realize that's a huge problem for a lot of people um if you have, have a problem meeting your mortgage like you have a small business right so you can apply for a small business loan uh and, and the government is offering th uh, loans there at crazy low rates to help people out um they're giving you know banks are forbearing for three months so you can also be part of that and do that as well um there's a lot of things that you can do to help your tenants out but you know this is not a good situation for anybody who wants taking a financial blow here and no one is going to like come out of this profiting at least no one should come out of the profiting and so um you know you just have to like you know do what's right do what you know like if it like the last possible you want to do is is have your it's like is like forgive your tenants and help them not pay have them not pay rent for a month but you know one thing you could potentially do is okay you can't pay this month well we'll attribute this month's rent over the course of the next of the remainder of the lease so now instead of paying you know a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars right now you add a hundred dollars to every other month's rent for the rest of the lease something like that right like just be creative work with them and uh, you know realize that this is very much a human uh, a human game and you know yeah. And being proactive is important. Uh, reaching out to uh, local government and state, you know, state government, being informed, reading on it uh, is it's important because, you know, you can help your tenants. There's a lot of programs going out there. There's there's a lot to gain by obviously this whole thing not collapsing. So the government is doing a lot. They're they're doing their part. Obviously, unemployment will uh, will help a little bit at some point. Um you know, so just being proactive, having that conversation, like you said, I think is really important. Yep, exactly. Just have a conversation. So going forward, uh, given the fact that this probably is the first cycle that many people have, have seen, what can be taken away from this? Like what lessons can young landlords take away from things like this, things that are outside of our controls, things that no one could have predicted? Uh, you know, what you can learn is that the market works in cycles, right? You know, this was kind of a long upswing we've had of, you know, 10 plus years and it went up really fast and people got really rich. And when people get really, when a lot of people get really rich, a lot of people get really greedy and they get a little bit too aggressive, right? So you always want to have a cash reserve, right? You always want to have some sort of liquidity. Um, you want to make sure that your properties work in multiple scenarios, right? Have multiple exit plans, whether that's Airbnb, whether that's renting out by the room, whether that's renting out traditionally, whatever it is, like you want to make sure your property works in multiple ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and reserves are important. None, none more important than right now. Um, and, you know, I've been telling people, especially our age now, this is a great opportunity for people that have kind of prepared and done the things that you've talked about, having reserves on properties, you know, being diligent, not overspending in your personal life. This can be a real big uh, sort of 
branding moment going forward, especially for people that are looking to use private lenders and, you know, it kind of be in a growth stage going forward. Um, this is sort of a, a opportunity to be able to say, hey, listen, like, you know, adversity is going to happen in my career, but I was prepared for it. And th that's obviously a lesson that people can take away from things like this because they are completely out of our control. For sure. Yeah. And imagine like if you if you are able but right, like like you just said, right? Like spending significantly less than you make. Like you should be spending at like your savings rate should be at least fifty percent. If your savings rate is fifty percent of what you make, you're not gonna lose, right? You're always gonna have a large cash reserve. And then people with cash right now are like getting ready, right? They're like locked and loaded. They're pulling their arrow back and they're ready to fire once an opportunity comes. And I would recommend that anybody with cash, uh, you know, keep stacking it up, keep on holding it because the opportunity is going to come soon here, whether it's in stocks, whether it's in real estate, you know, the stock opportunity could happen right now, right? I just put some money in Boeing for, you know, for shits and right, gigs right. because, right, it's it's down 70% and it's a huge company, right? I'm sure it's going to go back up. Um, Right. I, I think the stock market is a little bit gambling, which I'm, I'm, I'm willing to lose the money that I put into that. But with real estate, you know, it typically lags the stock market a little bit. So maybe wait a few months and kind of see how it how it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of lessons. And uh, again, you know, like you said, savings rate. I think that might be the, mo the, the biggest metric somebody can track over, you know, especially being younger. Uh, if they're trying to reach fire, you know, or, or uh, retire early, that might be the metric that can get you there the fastest is tracking that. No matter what you make, it's based off a of percentage. And, um, you know, having a 50 percent uh, savings rate, the average American spends 30 to 40 percent just on housing. Um, you know, and so if you can eliminate with that with house hacking, like you and I talk about a lot, that can go a long way towards reaching that 50 or more uh, savings rate. Yeah, man. If you if you house hack, that's thirty three percent of that yeah. fifty right there. Yeah. Right. You know. So I, it's it's not hard to get to if you're house hacking. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's there's sort of probably three groups of people that are listening to this right now. Uh, maybe people that that want to house hack but they haven't yet. Um, a second group that maybe on their first house hack and they're going through this. Maybe they're having issues with tenants not paying and kind of wading the waters with all of that. And then maybe a third group that's in a, a growth stage. Maybe they've had one or two house hacks. They're looking to potentially do more. Uh, speak to maybe what each group should be doing now. Um, most, you know, a lot of areas here in Michigan, uh, we're until April 13th, you know, we're in uh, self-quarantine. Um, what should people be doing during this time off and during this uncertainty in the market? Uh, right now, you should just be learning as much as you can. You should be saving as much money as you can, limit your spending as much as you can. Um, and, and also just like, and also like start analyzing deals, start to start pretending like it's real and you're about to make, take action and see what steps are next and what you can do. Maybe start talking to your lenders to get ready. Um, so that when the deal, when the right deal comes, you're ready to go. Um, if I, I would not recommend like taking action, if this is your first deal and you're going to use, uh, your last, your last savings for your, for your down payment, I would not recommend that right now because we don't know what's going to happen. And it's just, it's just, it's murky waters right now. Um, so I would just kind of like, just keep saving, keep putting yourself in a better and better position. And when it comes time to take action, you'll be ready. Right. Um, I had someone, I, I went on a contract with someone actually a couple of weeks ago and she had about 30,000 saved up and she was using about 25,000 for the down payment. And in, in a typical normal scenario, I would say, yeah, you're likely to be okay because you're going to make that money back pretty quickly and you'll have a pretty good, 
and, and she makes good money too. So she'd be able to save that back in a few months. But now I, you know, I say, hold on a second, right? Like let's actually probably back out of this deal because you don't know if you don't next month, right? You don't know if this quarantine is going to be lifted. You don't know where we're going to be with the coronavirus in a month. I mean, hell a month ago, life was pretty normal. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, well, if you're if you're in a position where you're not afraid to lose the money that you're about to invest right now, I would say just hold it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we've got a few questions here. Um, one of them. Let's see who this came from. Um, book saved my ass. It said uh, it said uh, what book has helped you most in your house hacking journey? And uh, first of all, your book is uh, one that everyone should definitely uh Read, but but for yourself during your journey, what book was that? Uh, yeah, you know, honestly, if I had to pick out one book that helped me through the house hacking thing, and honestly, it would probably be the rental property book or the book on managing rental properties. Um, just because that, like, managing rent, like the rental property book and house hacking isn't a totally different concept. Like, you can easily apply what you learn from one and the other. Um, it's there's some nuances and a little bit in little bit differences, but um, those are probably kind of the two books I referred to most on my first house hack. And then from there, you kind of just get the experience and, and you learn. And also, just getting on bigger pockets and asking questions on the forums and stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, another question is like, what? How should we be analyzing deals? You mentioned analyzing a minute ago, especially people that are new that maybe you know have a, have been saving, they have a little bit of money, but maybe that would be the entirety of the down payment, and they don't feel comfortable doing that right now. Like you mentioned, um, kind of like what are some of the uh, analyzing metrics that you use, um, you know, for potential house hackers? Yeah, so you basically want to. I would talk to a lender, right, and figure out about what your monthly payment's going to be. That's going to differ from market to market, right? But in my market. Um, a property that's like four hundred thousand dollars, which is typically normal for what we're buying here, uh, is going to be about twenty three, twenty four hundred bucks, right? And so then you're going to want to know, okay, how much? You know, if we're going to do rent by the room, how much is each room rent in each area? And so after being here enough, you kind of know. But I would just go ahead and look on Craigslist and look on Facebook Marketplace and see what other people are kind of listing their rooms at, and assume you're going to get a little bit less than them, right? Because if they're listed, it means they're not actually rented yet. And so assume you're going to get a little bit less than them and go ahead and see if the deal works. You know, if it's, if you're making 800 to thousand dollars or more over the mortgage, at least in my area, I'm pretty comfortable going through with that deal. Um, if you're not, they don't want to have a few hundred dollars of reserves, maybe a little extra. You want a few hundred dollars in cash flow to pay yourself with. So um, that's how I always value. That's how I look at analyze my deals and I kind of do it in my head. Um, but in your area, I definitely recommend just, you know, going on Facebook Marketplace, going on Craigslist, looking them up, figure out what your mortgage payment's going to be, um, and just going from there, right? Don't don't overanalyze it and don't make it harder than it has to be with all of these percent vacancy and percent capex and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And um, a lot of times, you know, there there is a time for due diligence, and uh, you know, during your maybe inspection period. I mean, you really want to know everything about the property. But when you're analyzing deals, especially as a house hack, I think one of the most important metrics that a lot of times people forget is what you and I mentioned a minute ago was the fact that you're saving 33% if you can get to the point where you have no housing expense. And of course, you know, we have 
uh, different expenses that we want to put aside for maintenance and, you know, and for reserves and, and, and things like that. So that is sort of money we're keep putting aside. But that's a 33% ROI, instant ROI, if you can get to zero, uh, that most other, every other investor, you know, they can't count on. If, if you have, if you're competing against traditional buy and hold investors, right, they need to have 20 to 25% down. They need to have six to 12 months reserves. Uh, they need to have a lot of money brought to the table at closing where you can potentially come in with, you know, zero to 5%, depending on kind of what you're doing. Um, and you're you're saving 33%. And that's the huge ROI over the long term. Yep, exactly right, my man. Yeah. Such a huge point. It's just, yeah, that, that that's why your house hack is for that, that saving on the, on a rent expense. And that's, Again, that's 33% of your savings right there. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's sort of a metric, you know, I mean, most people get it, uh, but I think it's something that can be measured too. And, and I tell people a lot, you know, depending on, on uh, uh, there's other, you know, things you want to look at, but if you can get to zero and you feel confident you can get to zero, you know, that's a great first step. And that's sort of, you know, the first metric that I go to um, is figuring out the rents, figuring out the payment, of course, um, and, you know, maybe figuring out the upside of the deal, but if that 33%, it is the ROI, you know, and, and I, I try to drive that home. We got a question here from junior who, uh, is talking about renting mobile homes and renting potentially by the, uh, bedroom. Have you, what, what do you think about that as an investment? Is it a good investment? Is it a horrible investment? He's, he's asking. Uh, yeah. So, so for what I'm seeing in mobile homes is that they don't appreciate all that much, but they're great for cash flow. So if you're looking for straight cash flow and not much appreciation, uh, mobile homes, I think are, are probably a good investment. Um, obviously you have a different demographic of tenant looking for a mobile home. And so you have to be, you know, if you're really good at screening tenants and you're okay with kind of hand, handling and managing tenants, then I would say, yeah, like a mobile home could be a good investment for you. I personally wouldn't want to go there uh, just because I'd rather have, I, I don't want tenants in mobile homes. And, and a lot of times the mobile home tenants are great people looking for a home. They're just lower class or whatever it is. It's just, I don't, I, it's never really interested me that much. Um, I know a lot of people make a lot of money on mobile homes though. As for the rent by the room on the mobile home strategy, uh, I think that I've never heard of that happen. Um, I, I think you could potentially try to make it work and, you know, be a, be a story and kind of inspire some people if it works out well for you. Um, I just don't know what people would pay for if like, you know, a room in a house is going to go for, you know, 600 bucks or so. Maybe a room in a mobile home goes for two or 300, but then is it really worth having multiple tenants that don't know each other for an extra, maybe 50 or a hundred bucks a month? I don't know. It could be. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just don't know much about it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, we got a second question here. What do you recommend doing between house hacks? Uh, he says that his first house is going, house hack is going well, and he's preparing himself for a second here towards the end of the year. Uh, what is that? You know, a lot of people get this question. You know, a lot of people agree that maybe between one and two may be more difficult than between zero and one. Um, you yeah. know, and I'm sure you can attest to that. Like, what should we be doing between the first house hack and the second one? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lull period, right? After you finish up the first one, you've done the rehabs and you've got it all rented out. You've got to wait like, you know, sometimes six, eight, nine, ten 10 months uh, until you're eligible to get your next one. At that time, man, all you got to do is just like 
pinch your pennies, look to make sure you're being as efficient as possible, save as much as you can, do either do a side hustle if you need to, or make sure you're doing really good at your W2 and work as hard as you can at that. And um, it just like stay focused and stay, stay ready and able to get the next one. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend doing anything too crazy. You know, I mean, you could is a high risk, high reward play there. But, you know, I guess what I did was I just like buckled down, saved every penny that I possibly could. And um, I remember having that same feeling of like, man, what do I do now? But really, you know, a few months isn't that long. So just, you know, stay focused and stay disciplined. Absolutely. A similar question here. We'll take a couple more questions and uh, we'll wrap this thing up. I'm sure you got things to do. But um, Shelly Justin asked a similar question about what you should do uh, for your second. But he's talking more specifically to financing. Uh, what are the action steps you should take towards financing for the second one, which, you know, you sort of touched on, but specifically financing? Yeah, so the second one's going to be the hardest one for you to get on a financing perspective, because if you haven't been a landlord for two years, and then you can't use that income as part of your debt-to-income offset. Um, and so the yeah, the second one is hard. Um, so you either have to be able to qualify for two homes with your current job, which means you're probably making a good, you know, good salary. Um, some lenders will allow you to take leases. So if you take, if you can get your first place rented out and have a signed lease before you actually close in your next place, they may use a percentage of that lease towards your debt to income ratio. And that would help, that would help you out as well. Um, but that's kind of why in that first year you want to just like make as much money as you can. Um, Cause yeah, you're going to have to figure out how to get that second Absolutely. one. Absolutely. And then reporting that, um, you know, w- with your taxes on that following year, after you do your leases and then reporting that income, um, a lot of times for banks, at least from what, you know, around me, that's the more verifiable way where they'll take that percentage away. You know, if you're under two years um, and, you know, because a lot of times it's kind of that, you know, thing where you're weighing, a lot of people will under report on their taxes so they don't have to pay, uh, you know, the, the taxes on that income from the rental but they kind of uh, screw themselves out of financing down the road. Um, yep. So uh, Samantha asks, have you ever tried house hacking in a very high end home? Now you're out in uh, Colorado, which is, you know, a little bit, a little bit higher end. Uh, speak to that maybe, which is a little bit different than maybe someone, uh, you know, kind of the mid, mid-level scale. Yeah. So, I mean, the house hacks that I have been house hacking are kind of like pretty middle-class homes. Like, you know, they're, they're right kind of down the middle for where people would hear. Um, I haven't done anything super high end. I do know somebody though, that does, is, I think out in Seattle, uh, that's doing some really high end stuff. You know, they buy six, seven, $800,000 homes and they rent, you know, they put a bathroom in each room and they, they kind of go all out with this rent by the room strategy. And, uh, they're doing, you know, they're doing very well. He just got some recent press recently. I actually forget his name too. I've only talked to him like once. Um, I wish I remembered his name, but uh, so like there are people that definitely do the high end stuff if that's kind of what you want. But if you're going to do high end stuff, you have to go all out and provide them with, you know, their own bathroom and Netflix subscription and all these kind of things. Um, and, you know, maybe all they do is just share a kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe going, um, I know some people in higher markets, um, some in Florida and California and where Airbnb can be a great, you know, substitute, whether it's a multi-unit or just a larger, you know, uh, three, four bedroom house, um, you can rent by the room through Airbnb. Uh, and that could be a great way to, uh, you know, of course, right now is is really challenging. And this is something that we've never faced before. 
uh, where basically Airbnb is almost entirely, you know, probably at some point will be almost completely shut down, um, you know, as air flight, you know, airlines get restricted and things of that nature. But um, it can be, you know, if you're going to go on a higher end market, doing being creative like that can can work. Yep, exactly. So uh, Taylor asked where we are geographically. Of course, I'm in Michigan uh, and you're in Colorado, but speak to North Carolina where you just uh, invested yourself. Yeah, so I've got, you know, I've got five, three properties, five units here in Denver. I just purchased actually three more in North Carolina. Um, and so basically, you know, in Denver, uh, you know, I've got good cash flow. It's a high likelihood of appreciation, pretty good market, but all of my properties out here are just like a little too cute, right? It's like, I've got some rent by the room, some Airbnb, some hybrid rent by the room, Airbnb, all that kind of stuff. And so I kind of just wanted like some traditional rental properties. Someone's going to rent out the full house. Just that just totally works. A couple hundred bucks a month of cash flow, and just kind of stack those up a little bit in a cheaper market. And so, you know, I met some guys out in uh, at a conference uh, last year who basically do this stuff in Fayetteville and they have the whole team in place. They've got a great property manager, a great, uh, great contractors, great lenders, and they're great agents themselves. And so I said, Hey, I got the team in place. Could I find a better market? Probably like, could I find better cash flow or better appreciation? Probably, but I don't want to look for it. I just want, and I don't want to have to go and like find all of the teammates when they're basically, they're just giving them to me all here in a silver platter. So I went out and uh, there in December, looked at some properties, put a few under contract, bought them. And uh, yeah, now they're cash flowing me like between 200 and $300 a month uh, per property. And it's just kind of like a nice little head on Denver. Absolutely. And something that, you know, maybe people don't realize, um, as you talk about a lot, is the team is, is the most important a lot of times, especially when you're doing out-of-state investing. Uh, and as people progress in their uh, careers as real estate investors, they may look into things like this. But you had a bad experience in Florida where you had a really crappy team and it really screwed you uh, out of a lot of money. Um, and it taught you a lesson that having an A team is better than maybe an A market sometimes if you don't have that A team. Uh, and that's why you found a, a good enough market with a great team. And you're, overall, you're going to do well, way better than you did down in Florida. That is so good. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I've been, I've been trying to figure out a way how to say that. But like, yeah, I'd rather have a B market and an A team than an A market and a B team. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfectly word that. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely. So we got a couple quick questions here. Um, just a follow up on uh, us reporting. Um, so so uh, they asked, so would you have to report the rooms that you've rented on your first house act to qualify for your second? Not necessarily, but if you want to have a better shot at getting qualified and you, having a lender uh, offset that cost, you do want to report that income. Um, and of course, you'll pay taxes on that, but it'll allow you for financing in the future uh, to potentially get more. And then uh, someone also says, are you required to, to file rent by the room? Uh, by the way, are you required to, to file rent by the room for taxes? I'm sure if you sign a lease, you are, correct? Uh, yeah, if you sign a lease, um, I would suspect that you are. Like if, if you were to get audited or something, like they could probably find that. Um, I mean, it's kind of in your best interest, too, because you can't really claim deductions unless you have income. And so if you don't have income, like you don't have a business, and if you don't have a business, you have nothing to deduct. So 
you know, I think, you know, maybe on your, I'm not sure if you're on your personal traditional mortgage, you can, I think you can still uh, write off like mortgage, in, uh, the interest, but I don't know if you can re- like deduct insurance and taxes and all that kind of stuff on just a traditional property. And also in rent by the room, you're buying things for the house, right? Like you've probably bought in three to $5,000 in furnishings that you can write off. You've probably done some repairs that you can write off. You've probably, you know, purchased like toilet paper and dish soap and stuff and communal stuff that you can write off. And if you don't, file that, uh, those rent by the room in your taxes, then you can't have all those write-offs either. So, um, I mean, up to you whether you want to do that or not. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question here by Junior. He asks, uh, and you have a good question, uh, response to this. Junior asks, as a, uh, how, well, he said as a renter, but uh, for the renters, how do you run credit when you're screening? Uh, so I just use Cozy, Cozy.co. Uh, great resource. It's free for you, free for the landlord. Um, you send them the application through Cozy. They give you a link. Yeah, Mr. John Wright answered my question for answered the question for me. Um, and uh, yeah, they basically once they filled the application, they submit it. It's like forty bucks for them. Uh, you get a credit report sent to your email with a background check, and you get to you know you make the decision based on what you see. It's very easy. Cozy makes it very easy. Absolutely. I uh, I just recently switched over uh, from your recommendation, and and I have enjoyed it. Um, you know, like you said, it's free. Uh, everything's in one place. Um, you know, there is a little bit of a coaching to, to get your tenants to switch over and some things like that. But overall, it, it's, it creates a, a hub. Everything's in one spot. And one thing that, you know, you can attest to, and, and a lot of our listeners will at some point, at some point, you're not going to want to get texts from all your tenants. You know, it just gets overwhelming. And, and you just, you prefer it all to be in one spot uh, where it can be yes or no. Um, and Cozy is a great resource for that. Yep, exactly. Cozy's great. Um, and yeah, and, and honestly, as you go too, as you start getting like, you know, 10 plus properties, like you, you'll outgrow Cozy as well. But for people just starting out, I think Cozy is absolutely perfect. Yeah, absolutely. You got time for a couple more? Yeah, cool. I, I got it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we got uh, a question here. Someone that lives in Fayetteville. Um, he said that he's in the area. Uh, what's the name of your team? He didn't catch the name of the team you're with. Oh, I'm with uh, the Five Pillars Realty Group. Um, Shelby and uh, I work with uh, Mike Glasby, but I'm good friends with uh, Shelby Osborne, Daniel Kidd, and uh, Michael Glasby out there on uh, the, the pillars out there. So definitely reach out to them. Uh, let them know I sent you. I like to build my street cred. There you go. There you um, go. But yeah, yeah, that would be. Um, yeah, they're, they're great. They're great people. Really high energy too. So fun to be around. So uh, here's a question. What What is the comparison in, in your market and maybe in general between a rent by the room approach versus a one bedroom apartment? What do you see the cost difference uh, being? Um, so it's kind of hard to compare, right? Because a one bedroom apartment is effectively one room. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so I guess like if, if someone's going to rent out like a one bedroom apartment uh, in Denver, it's probably going to be about probably 1300 bucks or so, 12, 1300 bucks, um, maybe a little more if you're like in a nicer area. But um, my, my one bedroom right now is being rented out for like 13 or 1400. Um, and then uh, one bedroom then, would be like if somebody was just getting a bedroom, the, the cost would roughly be. Yeah. If someone's like getting a bedroom in a house, it'd probably be about 900, 800 or 900. Okay. So but you know they wouldn't have their own private bath or anything like that. But that would kind of be the difference. It'll probably be uh, fair to say maybe thirty percent less um, if you're doing the the, the bedroom approach. Uh, 
Yeah, sure. So, some, yeah, some it's, it's so hard to that, that that's sort of yeah you know, in my market, um, sort of in you know the greater Detroit area. Uh, it's somewhere between you know like twenty to you know it depends. It depends a lot size of the house. Now, of course, the quality of the house and things like that. But but probably about twenty to thirty percent. I I would say probably uh, uh, less than that. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. I think I think that makes that makes sense. Um, it, it's so hard. It's so hard to say the difference. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Got a couple questions here. This one uh, is sort of an easy answer. It says, what are the steps in getting a lease agreement made? Um, Bigger Pockets is an incredible resource for this. So if you're a, uh, and of course, you know better than I do, but if you're a pro member, um, they have a state-specific lease that is really good. And of course, you can add and, and subtract to your personal preferences and you can take it to a lawyer and, and uh, you know, make it specific for you and your niche. But uh, Bigger Pockets is a great resource for leases. Yep, I actually made those leases. Did you? So, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I worked with each lawyer in each individual state to uh, to create the leases. Um, we do at Bigger Pockets recommend that you get them looked over by, um, but it will be much cheaper for you to bring our le- like the lease that you buy from Bigger Pockets to your lawyer than it will be like and, and just have them make re- reasonable updates than it will be to have them create a lease from scratch. So, you know, you're, you're saving probably five times the amount of money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Nick asks you, uh, any thoughts on ADUs right now? I'm in L.A. and the uh, regulations just eased up a, quite a bit during the housing crisis going, or the, uh, yeah, the housing crisis going on. What are your thoughts on ADU? Uh, I think ADUs are great. Uh, if you have a house with one, it works out great. It's kind of more of the luxurious house act. Um, whether you want to live in the ADU and rent out the big house or vice versa, um, it'll likely be, I mean, it'll be, great for you. And it's, it's a great strategy if you've got a family. Um, in terms of like building an ADU, uh, I, I, you know, I actually personally probably would not build an ADU unless it was on my first couple. Uh, the reason for that is because it's a lot of money to build an ADU. You're probably talking about 50 or $60,000 to build an ADU. You've got to add plumbing, you got to add electrical, you got to pull permits, you got to add a roof, all this kind of stuff that costs a lot of money. Um, and frankly, I just don't know if the, the juice is worth the squeeze kind of thing. Uh, now, if this is like your forever home and you plan to live here for five or 10 years, like absolutely it's worth it. Uh, but yeah, I, just for me as like a, as a, or, or as I give advice to kind of people just starting out, I think the ADU is a little bit more of an advanced play or for someone kind of like looking to stay in the property for a longer amount of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. we got a, uh, attraction, you know, what's the biggest attraction in the house hack? Um, and this question, you know, it, it all depends on context and, and who you're trying to uh, track. But this one says, is it a kitchen, a porch, backyard, parking, number of bathrooms, common area side space? What would you say uh, has been the biggest attraction for you for tenants? Yeah, that's that's a great question, actually. Um, I would say a bedroom to bathroom ratio is going to be really high up there. Uh, for me in Colorado, we get a lot of hail. So like garage parking is pretty big. Garage or just parking. Um, backyard. And porch, surprisingly, not really many people care much about that. Um, but I guess it's like, like when you're doing showings, it's like nice to show off. But I can't say people actually use my backyard much, like very rarely. Um, and, and also just like location, you know, obviously like you want to be, I like to personally be like close to highways and close to, you know, I, I like to be like no no more than five minutes from the closest highway so I can get to kind of wherever you want pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Location is, is very important. I think kitchens, 
back backyards, same same uh, you know experience for me. I mean, our properties have our, our large lots um, and have big backyards and, and you know decks and and patios and things. And uh, that never seems to you know it's it's a it's a little bit of an attraction. But but kitchens are the big ones. Um, of course, if people are looking for specific uh, bedroom counts, that's important. When you get up to uh, certainly three but maybe even two bedrooms, a second bathroom, or at least a half bath um, becomes a big, uh, you know, attraction, at least from the people that, uh, you know, in my area. But then parking is important, too, you know, especially if you're getting multi, you know, something more than just a duplex. Uh, when you get into three units, uh, it does become an issue with parking. Um, and I would say that people are attracted, especially if they can get have a second or third vehicle there, um, you know, if you have a decent amount of parking. Yeah, I think if you have like, I mean, even like in a five bedroom house, right, you got five people living there, uh, you know, all the properties that I buy that are five bedrooms are kind of out in the suburbs. So, you know, street parking is not a big deal. Usually there's two or three spots in the driveway. But yeah, if you're getting like five people in a house in the city, it's going to be much more, much harder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yo, Diego's here. Diego's here. Diego. got a bunch of people on here. Um, Let's go to this one here. Uh, John Wright, he had a question above here I was going to ask. We uh, missed it. He's asked about appreciation. Um, and what are we telling our tenants? So I will uh, answer both these. Um, for somebody that has a house hack, and maybe if we get past this and we don't have significant economic loss, um, do you prefer like cash out refinances or HELOCs? I get this question a lot. Um, kind of what's the difference in, and which one do you prefer? I like HELOCs. Um, uh, the reason is, is because when you cash out refi, you have to pay for it, like, no matter what. Whereas a HELOC has to get the option to pay for it. And so you've got money ready. So when a deal comes across your desk, you can kind of act quickly. But you're not paying for it while you're sitting there idly. Right. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of why I like it more. But, you know, the downside to HELOCs is that, you know, they're a little bit riskier because they have, like, a shorter time frame. Uh, and banks can kind of call them back whenever they want, um, typically. So you just have to kind of be careful. Um, so, yeah, but I, I personally, I, I've got HELOCs, and that's that's what I prefer. A lot of times, it just depends on the strategy, too, um, of, of what you're trying to do. Because I know a lot of people, um, you know, just a business partner of mine and local um, investors that I work with, they use HELOCs for, you know, whether it's, it's flipping properties or um, buying, doing kind of the burst strategy, um, you know, for short-term capital and uh, things of that nature. And, and it can be very, very advantageous. Um, now... John Wright asked, we kind of talked to touched on this a little bit earlier, but what are you telling tenants right now, um, you know, that are going through, uh, you know, tough times? Uh, yeah, I, I've been fortunate that none of my tenants are. Um, but if, if they are, you know, you first want to like, just obviously let them know that rent is still due. You know, you are human. You want to empathize with them. You want to let them know, like, you know, you feel for them and stuff. Um, you know, I, I would just say, uh, you know, point them to the government programs that the government is helping people pay rent, point them to these things that they can maybe apply for. Um, if you yourself, are you, if you're like legitimately hurting because of this and you can't make your mortgage payments because they're not paying you rent, then I would go ahead and apply for your three months deferment or whatever it is. Um, and, and kind of just like use what the government's giving you is kind of the first step. Um, you know, one, one of the last actionable things I would do, but would do it if you needed to, is work with the, is 
is kind of work with them and say, okay, like, you know, you can miss this month, but we're going to just, we're going to take this month's rent and we're going to attribute it over the next nine months or whatever the remaining part of the lease is. And that's kind of, you know, that's a way to solve, uh, you know, the issue of, of rent, at least for this month, right? If this goes on for multiple months, right, then we kind of have a, a larger scenario at hand. Right, right. Travis, uh, at the young retiree by 33, we had him on the show. Uh, he's on his second house act, and he said that he just had to shut down all my Airbnbs based off the governor's executive order put in place in Florida. Um, so I did I did actually read that, that, that Florida's shutting down as well. Um, so a little bit of transition similar to what you had. Um, you know, so it, these these are trying times, but um, again, being able to adapt and being flexible um, is is going to be is going to help you in the long run. Uh, no matter what happens with this, there's going to be another cycle at some point. No matter what the causation is, you have to learn to be flexible uh, and and be able to you know adapt when things like this happen. Yep, exactly. I mean, that's the that's kind of like the you know that's like the investment thesis. Like every deal's got an investment thesis, right? It's like okay, I like this property because A, it can be Airbnb'd, B, I can, I can make it a long-term rental and it will be totally fine. C, I can rent it by the room. Like it's got to have like multiple, like multiple strategies in case, in case something happens, right? Um, you just have to be flexible. And as humans, we adjust, right? And so like, even if you think the deal is super risky, you know that before you lose all your money, you're going to do something to make that deal work, right? Um, you're not just going to let it kill you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we got a bunch more questions. We probably won't be able to get to all of them. Uh, we've been on this call for an hour or so, but uh, I really do appreciate you coming on here. Um, I think you've had a lot of, uh, you know, help and, and encouragement um, for everyone out there. You know, a lot of people are asking kind of about what's going on with the tenants. Should you diversify with jobs and professions and things like that? Um, I, I think the biggest thing is just long-term uh, being able to store up cash reserves. I mean, the government's going to help out a lot, obviously, right now. Um, but uh, making sure you have that conversation with your tenant, stating that rent is still due and that, you know, beyond that, let's figure out how we're going to pay it, not not deferring it. But like you said, I've read a couple articles. Uh, some of the mortgage guys that I work with have sent me some stuff. Um, there's going to be some relief. And like you talked about forbearance, there's also going to be something that was similar that you talked about we're doing with the tenants where they're actually going to uh, do capitalizations, meaning that over the course of your loan, they're just going to add to that. They're talking about adding that difference of missing three months deferring to the life of the loan. So your, your loan would just go up by that much going forward and things like that. So they're going to, you know, going forward, they're going to help the consumer a little bit. Um, but be proactive. Talk to your mortgage companies. Talk to your providers. Talk to your tenants. And uh, I think going forward, we can all work together and learn from this because there, there's a lot to learn in all this. Yeah, I mean, trying, trying times is a great time to learn, right? It's uh, it when when we get through it all, we'll all be not much stronger. So you know, just just power through. Keep, keep educating yourself. Keep listening to the guys who've been who have bentles and see what they're doing Absolutely, and man. you know just we have counter at the end of here too that. but we appreciate you all joining in we appreciate all the questions we've got a ton of questions maybe i'll go back through all these and collect all of them and we'll have a show directed entirely at a lot of these questions uh but we really appreciate you coming on greg and for anyone that hasn't read your book this is a great time florida just got locked down uh michigan is uh, a lot of places throughout america are are going to or already have been locked down reading 
is a great time during this time off learning information and none better than reading your book. Thanks for listening. If you could do me a huge favor and go give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. It would really help us out. If we provided any value, please go do that. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who haven't subscribed. So go ahead and go subscribe and you'll get notifications when a new podcast episode is released. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day.